This week's episode of R2 Gaming is brought to you by nobody. Literally anybody. You could be here. This could be you, right now. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of R2 Gaming. I'm John. And I'm Abe. And we're here again in the basement studio. So just time for a quick recap of what's been going on in the world of gaming this week. And we'll start off with what I've been playing. So this week I played Assassin's Creed Syndicate. Now I haven't played probably the past four Assassin's Creed games. I stopped playing at Assassin's Creed 2, because I saw that they were just going to stretch this thing out indefinitely. Uh, but I picked up Syndicate because I really liked the London setting, and what a game. Like, it's gorgeous. It actually runs well. So last year's Assassin's Creed Unity is still unplayable on PC. Wow. Like, they just stopped releasing patches, and people wondered, you know, are they just going to give up until next year's Assassin's Creed title? Because they release one every year now. It is now a yearly franchise. And, uh, and they kind of did, but thankfully, this one, they released it a month and a half later than on consoles on PC. And um, there's a number of ways you could look at that. Some people think that, you know, they took longer to release it on PC, so there'd be better visual quality, you know, a better product. I think it was uh, because of piracy. They figured that if they released it on PC at the same time as consoles, people would just download it on their computer and not buy it. Huh. But either way, you know, we have the game in hand, and awesome, awesome game. I'm really digging it. So, now, is it uh, anything different from the other uh, Assassin's Creed games? That's a good question. Um, so there are certain things, you know, that really stand out in Assassin's Creed. Uh, number one is, like, the movement system. The way that you move through the world. You just hold down the R2 button, and you will do the most amazing parkour and acrobatic shit. Like, broken shoulders, torn tendons, like, <laughs> uh, ahoy, because it's... You, you have to suspend that bit of disbelief. Um, because what you gain when you suspend that disbelief is a really fun um, game that you can literally climb anything. Like, that was kind of a problem in the early games, that you couldn't necessarily climb absolutely everything. That's changed. You can now climb... If you can see it, you can get on top of it. And mm. it's, it's more compelling than I thought it would be. There are a lot more costume and design choices, which I never figured, like, I would be into that for a single-player game. But they're really shiny, and it's really pretty, and, uh, <laughs> and it's just... It's compelling. So, okay. I, I've enjoyed that. Is it different from anything in the franchise? No. And it absolutely says something that, you know, I picked up this game, and I haven't played the past four Assassin's Creed's, and the story is in the exact same place it was all those games ago. Secret organization of Assassin's. Yes. Running Piece, around. Getting pieces yeah. of the Eden, you know, for this <laughs> great grand master plan to foil the Templars. Nothing has changed. Like... That's they, kind of sad, considering at this point it's been, like, what, like, 500 years have yeah. passed? Yeah, you know, like, the, the future, they wrapped up, you know, the, the storyline of the first three games in, like, five or six games, and, um, spoiler alert, they killed the main character of the, um, you know, the future character in the first three games. And now the story is still going, just without, you know, their compelling main character. Hmm. So I've kind of blocked out, like, what's happening in the modern day in that game. Because, you know, there's a modern day storyline, and then there's a flashback storyline. And okay. the flashback storyline is much more compelling, you know, because you're in that, you know, time period. And getting pulled back to the future, to the present, not the strength of that game. I'll say that. So what else? This week, um, you and I both encountered the uh, Destiny Refer a Friend uh, yes. program. Yes. And the fun that that's entailed. Epic frustration. <laughs> so to me, Refer a Friend feels like Bungie, or, uh, Destiny sales are down. We need to get Destiny sales up. How do we get Destiny sales up? Let's make the coolest looking item in the game 
behind a uh, paywall of buying the whole version of Destiny a again. A new paywall. Brand right. new. Yeah. And not just that, but now you've got to invest the time. You've got to get to level 40 on that new thing. Like, it's almost like they're punishing their players for bringing their friends in before this point. I was very disappointed with that, because, uh, I mean, you got me into Destiny. I've gotten uh, probably four people to play right. and as, as as recently as a couple months ago, and that's locked away from all those people. And it's, uh, I wish that they had done something for people who had already recommended people, got them playing, and given them some sort of reward. Maybe not as cool, maybe not as many rewards, but, yeah. but something to acknowledge, hey, you, you got other fans to join this. It right. would have been nice. Well, it just it feels very nefarious that the coolest item in the game basically requires you to purchase the game again. Yeah. Like, it's not an earnable item by, you know, any skill in the raid or any skill in Crucible or any of the other, you know, in-game events that are supposed to those in-game systems are supposed to be what keeps you. It's supposed mm-hmm. to, you know, that treadmill, yeah. that, that carrot on the stick. And this this carrot is at the end of a 100-foot pole. Like, it's... Well, it's a, at the end of a 45-foot pole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. At the end of a legendary pole. I don't know so, what that means. <laughs> I don't know. So, yeah, I mean, I understand, because exclusive gear would draw me to a game. Sure. You know, if I hadn't started it. And, and knowing I'm not going to be one of... You know, 50,000 people that has this, and everybody else is going to get it. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, I wish there had been some acknowledgement for for all the recruiting that we've we've done previously. Absolutely. All right, so moving on. This week, I, uh, I played more Fallout 4 and believed that I was ready to, like, to slam this game good for not bringing something fresh. And then last night, I saw a little YouTube video called The Top 10 Rare Weapons in Fallout. And I watched the first three of them and immediately started the game. I was like, I've got to get these things. <laughs> so there's some fun stuff to be had. Uh, there's a laser pistol with infinite ammo that you get by cracking into a bank vault. And getting into the bank vault is um, it, it's very it's a very rewarding puzzle. And uh, and so you get in there and you find you know this laser pistol that's the product of science. You know that they've figured out a way to give it a huge ammo uh, recapture. And there's a computer terminal right there, and you can read the story of the development of this gun. And, mm. you know, the people who made it, they keep writing, like, as the world's ending. And the last entry is, like, we're out of food, we've got to get out of the vault, we're going to leave it here so that if the guy, you know, that we're working for comes by here, he knows that we did it right, that we got it to work. So you get to pick up that laser pistol. And it was it was sorely needed at that point in the game. I was running low on ammo. I really liked that. Like, it definitely reignited my, my desire to play a uh, Fallout. Okay. The very last weapon on that video is, like, the best sniper rifle in the game. <laughs> like, as soon as we're finished here, I'm starting that up and getting that sniper rifle because I've put scopes on every gun that I have that I can in that game because distance is, like, <laughs> that's integral to, to killing stuff. Because if you get in close, like, sneaking in Fallout is very broken. Yeah. Um, you can be crouched down and enemies will see you, like, a football field away and they just start shooting at you. It's totally ridiculous. So, long-range weapons, that's the only way I'm making it through Fallout 4 right now. <laughs> but it got me back. I, I'm, I'm back playing it. Like, it, it set its hooks. All right, so what next a, up... What else have you been playing? Hearthstone. Um, okay. My girlfriend is really into Hearthstone, and I get about three wins on her every time I craft a new deck, and then she figures it out, and I'm not that good at Hearthstone. I, I end up consulting my younger brother and have him build me a deck. And, um, and then I get, you know, three or four more wins out of that until, uh, until she 
you know, plugs up that weakness, and, and then it's back to the grindstone. So I've been playing uh, a whole lot of Hearthstone lately. They released a new expansion called, like, the League of Explorers. Uh, 40 new cards, you know, new uh, wings of dungeons to explore. If you want to look at a game that does um, free-to-play very well, uh, look at Hearthstone. Because most of the game is accessible uh, in its free module. And it's really compelling stuff. Like, my girlfriend is... is she she's a gamer in a small capacity, but Hearthstone is like this perfect silver bullet of just you know casual enough to get her into it, and yet addicting enough to keep bringing her back. And, okay. uh, and it's really really funny because every time I sign on to there, you can see like when your friends last signed on, she's always within like twenty minutes of uh, of having signed off. So she's playing this thing like multiple times a day, every day, <laughs> and that brings me great joy. Like as somebody who's trying to like bring somebody into the world of gaming. Great, great joy to be had there. All right, and uh, last up for me is um, this month's PlayStation Plus title, Walking Dead Season 2. So, talk about a dark game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I never finished Season 1. I, I'm familiar with the ending of the story for Season 1. And you start off Season 2, and number one, uh, Clem is, you know, much older. Just outright, like, somebody loses a baby. Like, bad, heavy stuff happens. Yeah. And um, we'll talk more in our perspective segment, the, the trials and tribulations of the Telltale games. Mm -hmm. But this one does it well. Uh, I don't know if we'll finish it. We'll see. See, I played uh, I played this game when it first came out on Steam a while back. Nice. And I, I really liked the game. I thought the story was really compelling. I, I liked uh, the gameplay better. Than the the first uh, chapter, uh, it uh, even though it's it's very similar, they eliminated a couple of things, uh, a couple of the button push challenges that were yeah uh, especially annoying yeah <laughs> and got you stuck on one part. But well, when they try and make you use like first person shooter controls at certain zombie <laughs> stuff in that game, yeah, totally uh, clunky. Like, yeah, uh, it was a mess. Yeah. It was it was a mess. All right, so onto our news slash new releases uh, of this week. So this week, Rainbow Six Siege came out. So this was a game that was delayed like six months from early summer until right about now. Yeah. They had a beta available back in September or October on PlayStation. It was a troubled beta, probably the worst beta I've ever played. Yeah, um, it tanked pretty hard. Yeah. Like, I mean, servers were down all the time from what I saw. Yeah. The, the publisher came out and admitted, they said that 70% of games that started never finished. Yep. So, like, the servers crashed that often, almost three so, out of four times. That's rough. Yeah. I mean, if you want bad press for your game, have a crappy beta. Like, way <laughs> to start it off on the wrong foot. Yeah. So, we'll see where that goes. At E3, they had a strong showing. I, I was impressed by what they did there. You know, they had, like, destructible environments, and you could, you know, build up and fortify your base for, you know, guys to try and, like, kick through the windows and fast rope in. So there was there was excitement to be had there, and when I started up the beta, I was like, "Oh yeah, let's do this. This is gonna be good." And it was not. It was decidedly ungood. So we'll see where that goes, you know, in the in the coming months. This week, uh, Batman: Arkham Knight, another patch came out. It's yeah. still unplayable on PC, and we're now six months post release. Ugh, so it sounds that's like rough. It's more from the Assassin's Creed school of thought. Yeah, like we'll fix it for next year's inevitable Batman title. Which is a shame, but this kind of brings me to a point and a question that I have. You know, between this game, Batman Arkham Knight, Rainbow Six Siege, and Assassin's Creed Unity, we're getting games that are unfinished at launch. Unity is still unplayed. So between early access modules, you know, like where you pay for a game before you play it, and games being unfinished at their release, what what is the solution there? Is there a solution? Do we just 
keep getting broken games? <laughs> well, I think part of the reason why we get broken games is because of the crunch time schedule hmm. that all game developers use. Yeah. Uh, they take these programmers and developers and they stick them on, I kid you not, 20 and 22 hour days. <laughs> these people are sleeping at their desks for a few hours mm. and then going right back to working. You deprive people of food and companionship and sleep enough, yeah. of course you're getting broken products. Mm. So they need to extend their development time to yeah. a realistic level and let their workers have some decent yeah. hours. That's a great point. That's. Did you ever read that EA report that came out? I want to say it was like 2008 or 2009. There was a report from an EA uh, developer's wife. Not from the EA person himself. And his wife basically like decried the sweatshop conditions at EA. Yeah. That um that there were supervisors plying workers with cocaine to keep them pushing long hours. I mean, drug administration <laughs> from a managerial level. That's yeah. damning evidence. Yeah. Illegal drugs aside, I know that every gaming company in the world come crunch time has a refrigerator full of Red Bull. Right. You know, it's just shameful. It is. And I don't know how many more broken games it's going to take and how many more. Because, yeah. I mean, when a game comes out and it's broken, it's kind of bad forever. I think it was Shigeru Miyamoto who, uh, who said that. He said a bad game is bad forever, but a delayed game is only delayed for a certain, you know, for that period of time. Mm -hmm. It's good when yeah. it comes out. You know, from the grandfather of video games, you know, he's telling you, like, take the time, finish the game, and it'll be good. It's not really happening. Yeah, well, unfortunately, it's an industry model at this point. Mm. And uh, it's just kind of accepted and uh, even planned on. Yeah. So, All right, so speaking of uh, frustrations with uh, the games in the gaming industry, so this week, rock band frontman Benjamin Burnley, lead singer and frontman of uh, Breaking Benjamin, snapped his Xbox One game disc for Star Wars Battlefront, calling the game, quote, a piece of shit. <laughs> I think the, the deeper story behind this was that EA tried to pay him for, you know, a sponsored content tweet. And, um, and that did not go over well. Either he was not happy with the game or he was not happy with the idea of being a paid shill. Either one. And, um, and voiced that frustration on Twitter via a very explicit picture of a snapped <laughs> disc. Yeah. Either way, go, go buy a uh, Breaking Benjamin CD. There you if go. You there you if go. you haven't, <laughs> they, they probably go do, do that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. See, their honesty or integrity right there, so we yeah. should support it. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder now if their CD sales are down, and this is just, you know, a way of him yeah, being like, it could be. remember yeah, this thing, so. remember this guy, because yeah. it's got people talking about it. All right, so um, also, coming up pretty soon, uh, and announced this week officially by PlayStation, uh, remote play functionality coming to PC and Mac. This is like the second case of PlayStation playing catch-up to Xbox, which is yeah. unusual, because that was not the way that this console generation started. Yes. They've announced that you'll be able to play, you know, your PlayStation 4 games, and maybe you know, the newly backwards-compatible PlayStation 2 and 1 titles, on your PC and Mac. Now, that's bigger than Microsoft, because Microsoft, they have no interest in Mac functionality. Yeah. So, again, you're getting a better product with PlayStation, Yeah. if not a little later on. So so that's exciting. I'm, I'm very pumped for that. I've become all about, you know, remote play and remote streaming stuff in, in recent months. And, you know, it gets rid of the need for physical media. Yeah. Now, this is really cool, but, uh, I mean, I could just see somebody at work getting in a lot of trouble doing yeah. this, wanting to play, you know, finish yeah. Fallout 4 or whatever. So yeah. Well, they have remote Use play. it responsibly. Right. <laughs> Get it taken away for all of us. <laughs> yeah. 
The PlayStation Vita right now does have remote play. Yes. So people yeah. are playing, you know, Destiny at work in a remote play uh, scenarios for that. I don't own a Vita, so I've never done it myself. You know, like, the, those little stories are already out there, and I can just see that exploding once, you know, they can fire it up on their Dell workstation or something. Yeah, exactly. Just pipe through and play it. It's really incredible that they can do that now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I just remember previously when you were isolated to that one little disc. And, yep. Yeah. Or you could play the cell phone version of it, which was... Horrible. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, so speaking of the death of physical media, that leads us right into uh, to our next uh, story. So, bum, bum, bum! <laughs> Star Wars Battlefront, uh, Halo Guardians, and Assassin's Creed Syndicate have all missed their sales goals uh, from GameStop. So, what does that mean? You know, is it that these games aren't selling well? I don't think so. I think they're selling very well. You can kind of see that this is a point of concern for GameStop, because we're right now in the middle of the sunset of physical media. Yeah. You know, things are going to digital sales, and the other side of the coin of that is that publishers don't release their digital sales numbers. You have no idea how much a a title is sold, because there's no other companies involved with that. You know, we normally get sales stats because there's shippers involved, you know, there's storefronts involved, and, uh, and that's where those numbers come from. But when it's, you know, strictly from developer to consumer, digitally... They have no reason to release it, and they're, they're famously very, very secretive of it. Mm-hmm. One of the only times that those numbers has come out uh, recently has been from EA in regards to the Battlefield franchise, and they said that 72% of all Battlefield uh, transactions, either game sales or DLC and, and other microtransactions, that's all digital. So, yeah. you know, almost three quarters of it, it's, you know, it's not cash for a product in hand. Yeah. I don't know. I think it'll be a good thing. Season passes and DLC for games. It's unacceptable to charge the cost of the game for a DLC season pass. As we've seen with Star Wars Battlefront, it's a game that came out, it has four maps in the uh, in the big game modes. Yeah. yeah and um, there's really, there's two game modes. And, you know, Walker Assault and whatever the uh, hardpoint style one is. And then the other game modes after that are just stripped out things from Walker Assault and from the other yeah. game mode there. So they're giving you like the bare minimum, it feels like, and then charging you almost the entire cost of the game. Yeah, to DLC season pass. Yeah, they really are. Um, you know, they since I feel like since they realize that that uh, they can move product digitally mm-hmm. like this, mm-hmm. that they can strip down one product and then feed you the pieces. You've said this about Destiny. Yep, is uh, chop up what five ten years ago we would have got on a single disc, right? And then feed it to you over a couple of years, charging you the same amount as a new game, almost. Yeah, I remember, you know, the one of the first games that put out DLC was uh, Mass Effect 1 for yeah. um, Xbox 360. And when they when they released DLC for it, it was like 6 bucks, And you got, you know, another 4 or 5 hours of gameplay out of it. Now, it was an extraneous story that had nothing to do with the main storyline. And at that point in time, I was just happy to have more time in that world, because I loved Mass Effect so yeah. much. It's gone another way. You know, now it's not single-player content. I mean, in Battlefront, there's not even single-player content yeah, to be had. All. Yeah, <laughs> Like, that's an entire missing game mode. I think, you know, the numbers going forward, they don't look so great for Battlefront. Their numbers can pick up because the movie's coming out soon, and mm-hmm. all those parents are going to go out and buy the Star Wars game for their kids, and then the collective online experience of everybody playing that game is going to suffer. That that's kind of their you know their last saving throw because they're at like less than two million copies sold right now, mm. and you know the traditionally the first two and three weeks after a game comes out that's the biggest it ever sells. Well, 
to be honest, you know, I would not have uh, bought that game after I played the beta. Sure. I bought a PlayStation specifically to play this game. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I pre-ordered it the second it was announced. Sure. Yeah, I can understand. Anybody who's played that beta or anybody who's yeah. talked to somebody who's played that beta, it's going to be rough. Well, the brass text that everybody seems to be arriving at with uh, with Battlefront is that it is a gorgeous game. It, it has is. immaculate yep. sound design. It, it is immersive, and you feel like you're having, you know, the Star Wars experience. What it is missing is the soul of a Battlefield game. So Battlefield games are known for these Battlefield moments, like where you get in a tank, and you put a mine under the tank, and blow the tank into the air, and shoot a jet coming at you, jump from the tank, get in the jet, and fly it away. It's just these one in a million moments. And uh, Battlefront does not have those opportunities, you know, because vehicles are awarded via tokens, you know, heroes are just uh, assigned via tokens also, so you have people camping heroes. All the glitz with none of the soul. And um, Well, I think it lacks the soul of uh, just especially the original trilogy movies. Okay. Um, it, it, it's, it's that skin mm-hmm. over a generic skeleton, and they've said, well, we, here we stuck this Star Wars skin on it. Yeah. And we're going to charge you for it. <laughs> <laughs> and I think most of us are seeing at this point, like, yeah, I see through that and I'm calling foul, you know. Right. Well, you know, traditionally, DLC from games, the DLC has never been more than the total release of the final product. Yeah. You know, um, Destiny may be the sole exception for that, but that's yeah. because, you know, Destiny is a 10-year title. Yeah. Battlefront is not a 10-year title, or at least that they've said. So one way that this could be read is that Battlefront will become kind of a marketplace in and of mm-hmm. itself, like like Team Fortress 2 or something, where yeah. you know you can buy characters or buy you know items for your characters, and the game becomes less about the game and more about the ecosystem that it creates. Like you can be you can get these maps, and they may there may not be a Battlefront 2 for a while. They may kind of dig their heels in on this one, and uh, and try and really expand the game outwards. That's about the only way that I could see this being appropriate for what they've done. Yeah, like four maps. I don't. I don't see EA doing that though. No. I think they'll they'll do a little season of uh, you know map packs and things like that. But I think that we can expect to as long as uh, Disney is in its uh, you know crap factory mode <laughs> of let's let's make uh, you know so, shovel some more crap out to the masses for them to consume. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so long as that is their model, we're going to get a new, it'll be like a Madden title. We'll huh. get a new thing. It's a, you know, little better graphics and yeah. little updated characters and stuff, but basically it's the same game you got yeah. 15 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think there's strong evidence for that. I mean, it's the same publisher as, yeah. uh, as Madden. Exactly. So yeah. we could be looking at. Madden Wars. Star Wars Madden, yeah. <laughs> Alright, so last up for our news segment today. Uh, the Payday 2 developer concedes, quote, we screwed up after uh, the story that we reported last week of the Steam moderators kind of taking that um, that forum hostage. Yeah. And uh, and they they gave those moderators their interview. Like, they, they conceded that this pay-for-weapon uh, scheme that they put in it's a screw-up. It, it has hurt their title, and it's currently hurting their title right now. Like, yeah. people are falling away from it. So I don't know what, you know, the end game of that is, but that, I think that, that's a big step, you know, when a developer says, um, you know, we messed up, because 
admitting self wrong is not a big thing. For, no, you know, for public companies, no, definitely not. And uh, so I gotta, you know, take my hat off to them hmm. uh, that they they uh, sucked it up and, yeah. and admitted it. I mean, they had to they admitted it at gunpoint, <laughs> but, but they did get around to admitting it eventually. Yeah. So, uh, but it's always good to see someone especially a company or even a person, mm-hmm. acknowledge when they've done something wrong and then try to fix it. And hopefully right. that's what we'll see is that they'll try to fix yeah. fix it and not just, yeah, I screwed up. Oh, well, yeah. good luck. Pay some lip service to the, yeah. uh, to the community and yeah. continue. Do shake, some pandering. Shaking them upside down. <laughs> By the ankles, yeah. Coins in their pockets. <laughs> All right, so that brings us to uh, our perspective segment. So some weeks we'll have a featured review. Uh, some weeks we'll have uh, perspective uh, like this. And so this week's, um, I was playing through uh, Walking Dead Season 2. I started to notice their their fingerprints of Telltale Games. And yes. there are so many of them. They, they have seven different major franchises. They've done a Back to the Future game, uh, you know, The Wolf Among Us. Yeah. They're, they're deep in the Borderlands world. And then, of course, you know, The Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. Um, and Game of Thrones. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, which they just announced a, a second season for that. Which, which is fine. Who didn't see that coming? Mm-hmm. As I was playing uh, Walking Dead Season 2, I couldn't help but notice, like, with this many games, I'm starting to notice the limits of their story uh, storytelling ability. Yeah. You know, what they can do. Because they use the same engine for every game. They you do. know, the, yeah. the graphics are very similar. The storytelling methods are not always the most true, you know, the most honest. Because mm-hmm. they give you the illusion of choice, and you go back and you play a segment again, and you realize, like, oh, I never really had much choice there to begin with. Yeah. So yeah. even big choices where there's a character death or something, mm-hmm. uh, the character is replaced and they will have almost an identical role, mm-hmm. almost identical lines yeah. to it, almost identical responses to those lines. Right. Yeah. Uh, so the more I play Telltale games, the more I'm actually becoming disenchanted with them. Like yeah. they they either need to seriously upgrade the engine and like move into a different graphics tier. Or they need to get rid of this kind of on-rails thing. Because they'll let you walk around yeah. the environment, but, you know, by no means is it an open world. Yeah. And the things you can do with the objects in that world are very, very limited. And it's not... For Walking Dead Season 1, it was just fine. You know, I didn't know Telltale Games at that point. I didn't know yeah. what they were capable of. And that was an interesting way to see that world. To see it again that way in Season 2, I was like, man, I've done this before. Like, yeah. you know, there, there's character development and, and reasons to stick around, yeah. but... It's not a wowing thing, and I didn't finish uh, the Game of Thrones season. Um, oh, okay. You know, them releasing it four hours at a time, you know, months yeah. apart, that's just... Yeah, you gotta buy it by the season. Exactly. Like, like the for, by the chapter or the episode, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Uh, it's not yeah. worth it. I really wonder if, you know, like, this point in time right now, we're dead in the middle of episodic gaming. And yeah. um, Valve started, you know, the idea of episodic gaming with, you know, Half-Life Episode 1 and uh, Episode 2. And then yeah. they abandoned the idea. They quit uh, episodic gaming because yeah. they realized they didn't make enough from it and that players uh, were not happy with the amount of content they were getting over the amount of time it took for them to release it. Yeah. So Telltale hasn't gotten the message, and they're still doing it. And I don't know if they have, like, sales numbers back it up, if, you know, people are still engaged and interested in this way, because I'll tell you what, I am not. I, I, I've got to be honest. You know, when I played those games, they were super compelling. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I uh, had the advantage of uh, Season 2 had just come out, and I bought both Season 1 and 2. Right. So I kind of uh, rolled through Season 1, rolled through Season 2, mm-hmm. and then being the completionist that I am, I went back to Season 1, uh. and I went, oh, 
there's not another story here. Yeah. This is not like, you know, as as old as it is, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Knights of the Old Republic. Oh, yeah. You're not going to get a new story, no yeah. matter what you pick. Yeah. And not even a little bit different, you know. And it comes down to, you know, it doesn't matter who you give the granola bar to. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you pick up those bullets in the the drawer, you know, it there's there's no point to it. It doesn't matter so, that Stephanie will remember that. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And while they're compelling stories, mm-hmm. they're interesting multimedia stories. That's almost how I would classify it, okay. like like an uh, an animated graphic novel yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, and uh, uh, they're compelling in that, but as a game, yeah. I don't feel like it's a compelling game. Yeah, yeah, I I really. I would hesitate to call you know these things from Telltale uh, necessarily games because yeah. they're they're more interactive stories with just the bare minimum of interaction yeah. put in there, yeah. and um and yeah exactly like you said you know the the illusion of choice is very very present and it wasn't always that way in games like yeah. it's just you know in recent years we have completely lost the ability to have a different ending of a game yeah and I don't know what that is like. Do they just not have faith in the people that are playing these games to get the different ending and be satisfied by it? Because, mm-hmm. I mean, games like Chrono Trigger, that had 16 different endings. Yeah. You know, every Final Fantasy game before, like, 10 had at least four different endings. Yeah. You know, um, Chrono Cross had, uh, like, 25 different endings. You know, yeah. so we've had it taken away from us. It used to be a thing. It's not a thing anymore. And I just wonder why. Because it was much more satisfying. And it it felt like a more personal game when you got an ending that... Not everybody else got. Or, and yeah, I wonder if that in and of itself is part of the problem, that um, they're wanting games are better as mm-hmm. a share, shared experience, mm-hmm. you know, just in general. Sure. It's it's what makes board games work, it's mm-hmm. what makes MMOs work, yeah. is that they're a shared experience, and if you can't share their experience, mm-hmm. maybe it makes it more difficult hmm. to retain your audience or something. Yeah, maybe. I just don't know. I... I remember all the water cooler conversations I had, you know, in junior high and early high school, you know, about getting certain endings to a game, yeah. and it just it felt like it, it gave it life, you know, it yeah, it, it was, it. and it was uh, it it made replayability yeah. really yeah interesting yeah like I said I you know I played nicely old Republic four times right. through <laughs> sure. you know uh, through to the point of you know because I wanted to see what happened when I killed Mission you right. know <laughs> so so it, it was uh, very interesting that way and and you're right it's it's missing from a lot of things yeah I yeah. I just don't know why like why go backwards well it's it's a lot more work hmm. you you've got if you've got that branching story you got to figure out how it all reconnects and, hmm. and then animate and and model all that stuff it's it's a lot of work that's true and so you know for those companies that are still putting out the games mm-hmm. uh, that have multiple endings like uh, didn't the last mass effect have multiple endings it had two I believe right three and three okay the different endings. <laughs> It's funny. They they were they were barely different. Yes, I, I remember that. But um, <clears throat> the collective loss of the internet's shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but you know, you gotta you gotta take your hat off to them again. Yeah, yeah. So. they they certainly tried. But they yeah they at least attempted. Well, they're coming back to that. Well, uh, Mass Effect Andromeda. Like there have been details leaking about it for eight months. Interesting. Now. Yeah, the 
that looks like that'll be a good game. I'm really hoping they've learned from, you know, the collective mess that they made with Mass Effect 3's ending. Because <laughs> you can ask any Mass Effect fan, they'll tell you it is 99% of an amazing franchise until the last scene of that game. And yeah. then, I mean, it's so bad that it makes people say, like, I don't know if I would tell you to play that franchise because of the way that it ends. Hmm. Like... Yeah. They give you... No- kind of like Lost. <laughs> yeah, it's all really good, right up until the... Oh. What ending on that? Oh, that's such a painful comparison. <laughs> it's so true. Yeah. Um, I mean, the the game is built upon choices. You know, it's, yeah. a, it's a Bioware game. So, yeah. of course, choice is, like, integral in there. You know, it's integral in KOTOR. It's integral in Mass Effect. Yeah. And so, um, there are, you know, moments in the story that you can have... You can, decide the fate of an alien race you know whether they live or die and they can come back and help you or hurt you uh later on down the game it needs to do that many many times there's no joke probably a thousand or two thousand significant choices that you make over those three games and at the end all those choices uh impact is the color of an explosion it's either a orange explosion a blue explosion or a green explosion Mm. yeah that's it like they're the the illusion of choice disappears entirely like you yeah you don't even get yeah that's that's a basic uh rule of of storytelling is you cannot take the last choice Mm -hmm. the hero's choice out of the hero's hands okay so Hmm. yeah they 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 missed that one in a big way yeah (laughs) let's see so how can telltale freshen this up i think uh it would take an overhaul of their system either a different game engine or a new IP to change the way that they tell stories. You know, yeah. something that's capable of actually having a branching story. You know, something yeah. that lets you get off the rails. Something that lets you explore, you know, an overworld in some meaningful capacity. Um, other than that, kind of out of ideas. And Yeah. Yeah, I don't know either. Well, um, there are game genres that don't exist outside of a certain point in time. You know, yeah. they, they start and they end at, uh, in a given time in games and then that's it you don't really go back to them yeah you know arcade shooters being one of them uh early you know arcade fighters and they they're products of their time you know telltale games could be a product of the you know mid 2000s to you know mid 2010s yeah but that would be a pity because uh i you know the first time through i really did enjoy both those games yeah i don't know maybe that's all the developers looking for because you know they got paid and they they provided they furnished a decent story the first time through yeah. and as gamers i think you know we're we're conditioned to replayability you know games have a history of replayability mm-hmm. you can go back and you can enjoy your investment and maybe that's a product you know of uh, of growing up as a kid gamer you know because you only have that one game you only get enough money you know to do that so you're going to play it into the dirt so yeah you need that but now that gamers have grown up and have, you know, the disposable income to buy a new game every year, maybe the, the branching ending isn't something that's needed as much. Yeah, maybe I, so. I don't like to think that. I don't like to think that I'm getting old, even if it means that I can, <laughs> even if it means I can do nicer things and get better stuff. I just don't like the idea of leaving something behind like that. Yeah. So now a little segment here for the holiday season. What's on your wish list 2015? Abe, what do you got? Well, top of my list has got to be Legend of the Sword Coast. Okay. Um, I told you a little bit about this, but my browsing of 
future release titles, mm-hmm. stumbled upon it, and this game sounds awesome. First, mm-hmm. it's, uh, I believe it's Bioware, okay. who did, uh, mm-hmm. you know, is known for doing the Dungeons and Dragons title, sure. and that's what this is. And this sounds like, I can't attest to it, I haven't played it yet, <laughs> but it sounds like the Dungeons and Dragons game that everyone had hoped and prayed would come out on the Wii or the Wii U, and it never did. So you can uh, network, Mm -hmm. uh, I believe, uh, up to five or six players, uh, with one player uh, acting as a game master who can either uh, design a whole level out (laughs) and then have the party play through it, or he can design it on the fly and drop a monster in and add dialogue that pops up and drop treasure. Yeah. Uh, it's so cool. It's a great way. It harkens back to all those dorky uh, pen and uh, paper RPGs that I played to death yeah. as a kid. And uh, it's just so cool to see yeah. uh, what we were you know, hoping to see from the Wii and the Wii U yep. and, and see it out. Uh, I'm glad that Bioware listened when yeah. everyone <laughs> screamed for it. And uh, I hope that it lives up to the expectations. But that one's definitely on my wish list. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to playing it uh, later on this year. Yeah, I'm, about ex- you? I'm excited uh, for that one to be- come out on PlayStation 4, because if it did come out on the Wii U, you know, like, the main benefit of that would have been the tablet yeah. screen, Yeah. but the Wii U does not have the processing power no, for something, doesn't. you know, truly engaging, so yeah. putting it on, you know, like, true uh, current generation hardware, yeah. you're going to get some good stuff out of that. Yeah. So I'm very excited. Well, it that. looks like, uh, from the screenshots and things, it looks like a gorgeous version yeah. of... Uh, uh, some of the D&D stuff that we've already seen. Nice. Neverwinter Nights and things like that. Like, souped up to 1080p oh, quality. It's beautiful. Yeah. So. If only. So, there's uh, a few that I've been looking out for. One is uh, it's called For Honor. And, uh, yeah, I, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I know that one's going to be big for my brother because he's huge into that time period. And, um, and I just, I really enjoyed, like, the fidelity of the graphics on that look really, really high. And, um, you know, the three different... Uh, I don't know if we should call them races, three different classes that you can choose, you know, samurai, knight, or, like, viking, and, um... I think that, by definition, covers <laughs> races there. <laughs> Maybe it does. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and that just looks very, very compelling, because, I mean, who hasn't had that conversation about, like, what would win in a fight? A, a viking or a samurai, <laughs> yeah. yeah, man. <laughs> folded steel of a katana. <laughs> like, we'll finally get to actually, like, see that one play out in the living room. And I think that that is just going to be very, very fun to see. Um, let's see, what else? Dark Souls 3. So that comes out uh, okay, early yeah. next year. Maybe not in time for the holidays, but in time for my birthday-ish. Um, that's going to be a great one. So uh, Bloodborne's latest DLC just came out. Same developer from software. Um, and that is quality stuff. Like, the internet is collectively loving Bloodborne the Old Hunters. So I'm very excited to see what they do with Dark Souls 3. Um... So the main producer of the Dark Souls series did not work on Bloodborne, did not work on Dark Souls 2. Oh. So he has not been on the past two games. Okay. But he's back for Dark Souls 3. Ooh. So, all right. I think his last name is Miyazaki. It's the same as the guy who did um, the Studio Ghibli animations. But okay. I don't know if they're actually familial related, but hmm. that's how I remember it. Um, so that, that one's coming up. I'm very, very pumped for that. Uh, there's a lot of uh, American titles coming out, you know, in the first half of next year. Oh! Here's something that's on holiday wish list: VR. So, um, uh, Valve's Vive headset is supposed okay. to be out um, holiday 2015, 
now. We're coming. I mean, we're knocking on the door of December right now, and they still have. Oh, I think this counts as holiday at this point. Yeah. Anything after Black Friday, right. it's holiday, folks. Yeah. So nobody knows like when they're gonna you know put this thing out because they said holiday 2015, and they then they haven't said anything since like September. So, now, now, when did they do? The, did they announce that? So they announced the developer kits uh, in spring of this year, like late spring. Like okay, so April. with true Valve fashion, we've got another ten years before we'll actually see yeah. this thing, like the Steam Box that yeah. was supposed to be released in two thousand ten, I believe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and Steam Box, boy, talk about troubles that they're having with that. I mean, the Steam controller is being collectively panned, and I have a Steam controller. I use it more as a replacement for my mouse than I do for, um, you know, in games. So many games that are coming out nowadays actually have native PlayStation 4 controller support in them. So yeah. if you plug your PS4 into your, or, uh, your controller into your computer, you can play with no driver download, no nothing. Oh, nice. Like, plug and play. And uh, the Steam controller requires calibration. It has different configurations for every game. You have to like go to the community and see what they've decided is the best config for this controller. It's a lot of overhead, and um, I just I use it more as a mouse. Like it, I can't deny how good it feels in the hand, and that's yeah. why I, I use it as a two-handed mouse replacement. But just for games, I mean, I tried playing Overwatch with that, and boy, that hurt. Like that hurt my left thumb a lot. Hmm. So. I don't know what what's going on with uh, with Valve and their hardware department. Um, Steam boxes are kind of DOA. Like Alienware has abandoned them. Like they, they stopped making product, and um, it's because Valve thought they could bridge the gap, you know, between consoles and computers. You know, have yeah. different colors of Steam box for different, you know, tiers of gaming. And that that I think was the part of the problem. Yeah. Uh, it's what turned me off to buying it. Sure. Because, uh, uh, you know, I remember walking into a GameStop and somebody mm-hmm. saying, hey, you want to order, pre-order your Steam Box? Mm-hmm. And I went, Steam Box? Yeah! And I looked, and then there were, wait a minute, there's yeah. like four different versions of this thing? Yeah. You know, yeah. That's, not so much. I'll take my PS4. <laughs> yeah. It's the strength of the console market. You know, you know what you're getting yeah. in that box. And yeah. you know when you put a disc in that box, it's going to play. Yeah. And um and that that is a sole weakness of the PC market. You know, it's yeah. it's super customizable, but that customization comes at the uh, the cost of performance. Yeah. And um and some people that it's not worth it to them. They just want to you know play a game and put the disc in and have that experience. Never underestimate the value of convenience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I mean the the value of that convenience may well be the death of uh, of the steam box as well as physical media like yeah. we were talking about it earlier it's convenience true. convenience convenience you're right yeah they they fragmented the market when they made different colors of steam box mm-hmm. and um, and you cannot do that like fragmenting the market that's that's been the death of so many games you know that let you play it without dlc because yeah. then you have you know people who do have the dlc people who don't have the dlc and those two worlds just get further and further apart until they eventually both kill each other off and, yeah and the game goes under. So, but yeah, uh, so Valve's V-Bay headset, supposedly holiday 2015. Early 2016, uh, Oculus VR. Like, these are the people, yeah. the big boys of VR, who kind of started this whole VR thing, you know, three or four years ago when they put out, you know, their concept for the Oculus Rift. They got up, uh, bought up by Facebook for a cool billion dollars and, uh, and then went super dark, um, John Carmack, the guy who created Doom, you know, arguably the father of the first-person shooter, yeah. now works at Oculus VR, and he's um, he's developing, you know, their their big entry into that franchise. So, uh, Oculus Rift, quarter one, 2016. 
so we're like we're right at it dude like the vr revolution is here and um there are so many i mean there are fun little ways that you can get a taste of vr right now like yeah. google cardboard and stuff like that um i have one of those headsets and it's very very cool i showed it to everybody at thanksgiving and every one of them was like this is cool yeah when left to the own imagination about what vr can do people just aren't very creative and yeah when when you put it on their head and say no but look at this they go oh my gosh i never would have thought of that and yeah. um and then it's amazing you can see well i i really do believe vr is going to transform you know the uh, the gaming experience and um it, it's going to appeal to the casual people as well because the the strength of vr will not be in its games the strength of vr will be in its visual experiences like standing on the moon or standing on Mars or being on stage at a concert or being in the ring at a UFC fight. Yeah. As, as nauseating as that could be. <laughs> um, I, I really think that that's where their money is going to be made. And, and it's kind of already happening. Like there are Oculus uh, platforms out there that have access to the Oculus marketplace where you can buy these virtual experiences. Yeah. You can stand on stage at the presidential debates right now in an Oculus head, uh, headsets. As compelling as that is, yeah, <laughs> that's what I want to do in my virtual reality <laughs> to watch, you know, political blowhards that I have literally nothing to. Do. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> we've hit a tangent, ladies and gentlemen. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, so VR—that that's really top of my uh, of my holiday wish list. Now, All right. Let's just see if these companies can actually turn this product out. Yeah, because we've heard the VR. Yeah. It's been... Siren call, you know, before <laughs> yeah. luring us into rocks and hideous <laughs> graphics and migraines. Yeah. But... <laughs> yeah. I mean, Virtual Boy in, a, in yeah. 1996. Yeah. yeah. I still have a headache from that. It, it, it's never left. It's just something I live with now every day. Yeah. Yeah, so I think that'll bring us to the end of our holiday wish list 2015. And this has been R2 Gaming. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, look at our subreddit for new content and for feedback. Thank you guys very much.